All right, let us pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for safety with everybody driving and those who aren't driving. Thank you, Lord, for blessing them. And thank you for watching over us. Thank you for this word, for your for First Thessalonians, for what you did through Paul and all the people there. And Lord, help us to continue to, to glean wisdom and knowledge and understanding from it. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are at First Thessalonians three. Quickly, tell me a little bit about Thessalonians. Tell me what do you know about Thessalonians? Thessalonians so far. Thessalonians in general. Thessalonians one and two so far. Thessalonica was a crossroads of commerce, kind of a central location for all sorts of different trade, as well as all the religions of the world have been represented there. And okay. Someone else. One of Paul's first stops. Yeah, good. Yeah, early on. Mm-hmm. But when he wrote this, he wasn't actually there. He was in prison? No. He was in Athens at the time. Because we'll find that out tonight, that he is in Athens, and when he hears about what's going on there, and wants to be there, but sends somebody else instead. But So he's in Athens. It's, if I'm correct, it's not a letter of critique uh, or anything. It's just a letter of love. Mm-hmm. Yep, a letter of a letter of uh, you know even exhortation. You know, he's he's excited about what they're doing, congratulating them, sort of a deal. Yep, good. Which and, is different from the other ones. Which is different than yeah, certainly Corinthians. I mean, can you imagine? You know, the we get to heaven and we meet all the the church the church of Corinth. And going, oh, you were the guy. <laughs> you well, know. you meet the guy who caused the big problem. Uh huh. Uh huh. So you were him. No, yeah, whatever, whatever. I got to go. I got something I got to do. <laughs> exactly. All right. So um, so there's stuff going on. They're, they're being attacked. Remember, they're being attacked. Uh, Paul had been kicked out of Thessalon- Thessalonica. And uh, he had gone then on to Berea and had gotten kicked out of Berea. He had then gone on to Athens. And the guys who had caused trouble for him had gone back to Thessalonica and were giving the, the church a hard time, making all kinds of accusations against Paul. Second Thess- or First Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, last week, um, he had been writing about why he was not what, what the accusations were saying. Remember, he said that he, he wasn't there for money, he wasn't there to, you know, he wasn't some fly-by-night organization, that, that he was there for the gospel, and they knew the difference. They knew that he was not what these other people were accusing him of being so chapter three um is talking about that attack and what he wants to do about it verse one therefore when we could bear it no longer we were willing to be left behind at athens alone and we sent timothy our brother and god's co-worker in the gospel of christ to establish and exhort you in faith um, in other verses, or I mean, sorry, in other versions of the the Bible, uh, it says that Timothy was our brother and God's minister in the gospel. Here it says co-worker, which is actually a better description of that word. The word where we get minister, though. So when you hear about a minister of the gospel, somebody who's a minister, um, many times today we think of of it in more of an uh, ecclesiastical uh, reference, like, oh, he's a minister. Well, no. A minister to them was somebody who was there working. They were, they were helping. They were teaching. They were, they were, they were a co-worker. It was not a, it was not a term of, of uh, hierarchy. It was a term of, it was a job. I mean, that, you know, this, this was someone who would go in and serve other people. So when when leaders, when, when, when talking about leadership within the church, Paul, even the first church, the early church, understood that ministers weren't, oh, oh, he's a minister, you know, and he should have all these benefits. And, he, you know, and there are benefits for the gospel. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, like we said last week, you don't muzzle the ox, you know, don't, uh, you know, they should make their income from the, the gospel. But... Their, their number one concern should be serving people, should be helping, should be teaching, should be, should be ministering to them. 
And so, um, in the previous chapter, Paul explained how he wanted to be with the Thessalonians during their time of trial. However, he couldn't, so he, so he did the next best thing. So what he did is he sent Timothy. Timothy was the minister that he's talking about. And when you look at uh, the book of First and Second Timothy, that's the letter telling him this is what you should do when you get there. You know, and it wasn't in Thessalonica, Thessalonica was not the only place that Timothy went, but um, this, you know, these letters then start to make sense because he's sending Timothy into a new place that has problems. It may not be that the, the people themselves are problems. They had issues. Every, you know, everywhere you go, there there's issues. But he, they had other things going on, pressures and other things going on within the church. And so they... They needed help. They needed somebody to come in and to and to help them get through this process. So, for the sake of the Thessalonians, Paul was willing to be left alone in Athens. Um, it cost him something. Yes, isn't Timothy to Paul what John was to Christ? He was a very close confidant. Yeah, Timothy was was that younger minister that <laughs> basically he was. Paul, Paul could send him anywhere and have him do anything, and he'd just go do it. And he was good at it. That was the thing, was he, 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 was, he was good at it, and so Paul could trust him. You don't see Timothy sending John Mark into those places. John Mark was the one who ditched him during the first uh, missionary journey, and later on was redeemed back to Paul, and, and, and Paul definitely took him along on trips and he had and he said he was very important to him all those kind of things but timothy was that go-to guy the guy said you know hey yeah if you need somebody to go back to thessalonica here timothy i'm gonna have you go do this and timothy yep gonna do it and and he learned as he went along where was silas silas was more of a co-worker so silas silas was the guy that he was traveling with and they were co-ministers so so he was with him in Athens. Yes, yes, I believe he was. Yes, because it was it was uh, not when when um, uh, Paul and Silas was that was he was that was the second confidant. Who's the one? Is it Bartholomew? All of a sudden, Barnabas. Barnabas. All of a sudden, I had a, had a mind blank there. Barnabas was who he went out with the first time on the first trip, and. Barnabas and he got into an argument about John Mark. That's how that's how that split yeah. happened. And if you know, it's an interesting. We're already past Acts, but when it talks about that in Acts, the descriptive, the the words, the Greek words that they used to talk about that disagreement meant that they came to blows. They got into a fist fight over John Mark, and so you know, you you, you don't see that in the uh, the the. the the telling of the story of Paul, and you know, it's it, it was not a pretty sight. They got into a fight, they got into an argument, which very well could have been a fist fight. Um, and then other places where it talks about how Paul came against Peter when Peter was mm-hmm. was uh, not letting the uncircumcised yeah. into the fellowships. When they when they argued, it was that same sort of. It was an argument. I mean, it was a full. Knockdown, drag out argument. Oh, it reminds me of that. There's a movie uh, called The Apostle. Uh, Robert Duvall mm-hmm. uh, plays a preacher, and he reminds me of Paul because uh, he was uh, one one of the scenes is somebody was starting trouble at his church, and he went out there and beat him up in front of the congregation, mm-hmm. and then went back in and finished his preaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Well, that's what that's what I love about the the. Uh, Gypsy camp, you know the gypsy folks in in Romania is it's it's like the old west man. I mean they there's a you know somebody will be causing trouble in the service and they'll two or three of them will grab them and drag them out the door and throw them out and <laughs> come back in and sit down. Go, hey, go on, go, keep going, you know, <laughs> like nothing had happened. You know, the ver- first time I'd ever preached in one of their uh, services and I didn't know what to expect. You know, and it was wild. That was that was number ago, be two thousand four, so it's ten years ago now. Uh, that was only five years after they had started the church, and so they were they were still wild, and you know it's crazy. People are talking, people are getting up, and they're walking around, and they're they're moving, and they're they're arguing about whose seat is whose, and they're you know I mean it's just constant while you're preaching, this is going on, 
And all of a sudden, I don't know what some kid did, but his grandmother just starts wailing on him. <laughs> wham, 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 right in front of everybody, shaking him, wham, wham, sit down. <laughs> you know, like, amen, amen. You know, didn't even, didn't even, you know, skip a beat. And it's like, wow. So, so when people act up here, it doesn't even bother me. I'm so used to it now. All right. So, so my mom starts wailing on me. <laughs> well, but you deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we just let her tell you across that one. Just let, her, let her finish it. You'll be fine. That's right. As long as you're breathing afterwards. <laughs> so that word minister originally was the same word as a table waiter. So that, that gives you a, a feeling of how... Paul looked at the ministry that it was a it was a service oriented position and it came from a a low lowly service of any kind it was often used by the early christians to give expression to the service that they habitually were to render to both god and to man uh, where a word like slave is often used for christians puts the emphasis on the person's relation, personal relation relation this word draws act, attention to the act of service being rendered. So, verse 3. No one, or that no one, be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So, Paul is talking about that they need to, to uh, be established in their faith, they need to be exhorted. He's, he's trying to cheer them up because there's afflictions. He said... These are going to happen. He says that no one would be moved by these afflictions. He doesn't want anybody, what these guys are going through right now, what the church is going through, the attacks, the, the, uh, the opportunities to, uh, to, to have to make choices, believe or not believe, stand, not stand. Um, the, the outside attacks from these unbelievers or the, the, the Judaizers who were, who were trying to break up the church. And he said, here's the deal. Afflictions are going to come. Things happen. It, it Life was not promised that it was going to be easy because he says, for you yourselves knows that we are destined for this. Um, some believe that affliction means God is angry at the believer. The truth is that affliction means that God loves us enough to give us the best when we may only desire what is easy. The symbol of Christianity is the cross, not a feather bed. Affliction is just part of following Jesus. Therefore, Paul recognized that Christians are appointed to affliction. There will be affliction. It's just part of life. It's part of the way things are. And to think that, you know, I'm going to become a Christian and then everything's going to be just perfect. Because I'm going, to, I'm going to be on God's side. I'm going to get on God's side and everything's going to work out. That's not reality. God don't have any enemies, does he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, it works out in the end from the standpoint of your salvation is secure. Absolutely. And you know, in the, the you've read the final book, mm-hmm. and you know, you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it works out. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. But between here and there, yeah, life happens, and mm-hmm. you just joined the other side. So said Joe. Yeah. <laughs> but. Even while he was going through all that, he still had the same demeanor, same mm-hmm. beliefs, and he didn't waver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about Job next year. I was going we were gonna try to get to Job in this uh, last one. We were talking about uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Ruth. No, Esther. Esther. And the next one is Job. But we, you know, I didn't want to just rush through everything and not do it justice. Job is amazing, you know. In the midst of that, when when it's not only he's going through horrible horrible things in his life, but all of his friends and his even his wife is going, whatever you did, man, you know, just give up now. Why even try? God hates you. God God's mad at you. He's going. I don't know what's going on here, but it's not, but God is still God. You know, that's that was his that was his take. But he also had some wrong views in there too. We'll get to that. But yeah. You know, there's no promise that life is going to be easy. Um, it's funny that you talk about that and the cross being a symbol and um, 
you know, standpoint. I saw this cartoon and it just, I, th I liked it. But it was of, you know, a dozen people all carrying these big, huge crosses. And this one says, dear God, please, it's so heavy, please make it easier. So, slice off the bottom. <laughs> Goes a little bit farther, oh God, I'm so tired, please take off a little bit more. Slice off the side, kept on inching away at it. And the last picture of the cartoon is um, everybody going over this huge crevice on their crosses, mm -hmm. and this guy who kept on praying for make it easier, make it easier, can get across. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, and so just the symbolism of it, I really liked that. So I had to like, mm -hmm. I showed Naomi, and even at eight, she thought it was. I mean, it spoke to her too, and so I just thought that was a really neat one. Mm -hmm. So talking about that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. I like that. But some people get really discouraged, and, and, and understandably, you know, I mean, when, when people go through stuff, I get it, because I've gone through stuff, and it's hard, and you're thinking, why do I have to go through this? Why, why, you know, why does this have to be so hard? Well, number one, we joined the other side. We, we, joined the, we, we, we joined the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness is all about destroying, trying to destroy the kingdom of light, or at least... Uh, beating on the people of the kingdom of light to the point where they give up and quit because they can't make us quit they can't he can't satan cannot do anything to you know for us to lose what we have but he can make he can bring us to a point of quitting and the thing is is if you think it's supposed to be easy and it gets hard then that's that's scary because you're not ready for it you don't you're you're not ready for what that those kind of when those things happen we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where things happen. It isn't God putting them on us. You know, Jesus said, he says, you know, evil will come. You know, I uh, can't remember the exact wording, but it was like, you know, woe to him who brings trouble onto you. Because then God will, God will deal with that. That's where he you know, ties the, the millstone around the guy's neck and throws him in the, in the water. But it, it comes. Evil comes. Stuff happens. Life happens. But it's easier for believers to go through all that. Because we, we, because we have the bigger picture. Yeah. I know for me as a believer, this is probably the hardest thing that I struggle with is having, having the correct attitude about it because I don't want to suffer. I don't want, you know, I don't want the pain and the uncomfortableness and you know, I know I know we're there yet, but I just pray that I could have the attitude like Paul and Peter and the other disciples, where they, you know, they thank God that they've been counted worthy enough to suffer for the kingdom. And, uh, yep. Personally, I'd like to get to a place where I could actually say that in a minute. So it's, it comes down to perspective. If we're if we're ready for it and we and we deal with it, we have the perspective that hey, God God's going to walk through walk us with you know through it. Also, He has provision through it. You know when when there is an attack of whatever kind, we know we can we, you know we have God on our side and we can say hey you know Lord okay, I I'm I'm in need here of whatever this need is. It could be a financial need. It could be a a physical need, a, a, a spiritual need, a, a personal uh, relationship need, or whatever it is, God has the answer. But then we have to trust Him that it comes what it needs to come, and that it comes the way that He wants it to come, not the way we necessarily want it to come. But the biggest thing is that if people don't know that stuff, that 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 uh, afflictions do come, they won't be ready for it, and it, it, it could knock them out. It, it could cause them to to give up. In China, when the, um, the revolution came, mm -hmm. a lot of the Christians there, they had been taught that they wouldn't get trouble here. Wow. And they were taught that, you know, um, uh, of the, well, I agree with the pre-trib pretty much anyway, but they were so focused on no trouble in a pre-trib rapture that when that horrible revolution came, and um, some of them committed suicide because mm -hmm. they thought they'd missed the rapture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I've always said you gotta 
be prepared to go through. Yes. <laughs> what time frame? Uh, that was... 1910, wasn't it? Right around then? Yeah. I, I can't remember. I'm terrible with timelines, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the you mean Mao? You mean the yeah. the yeah. yeah? It was like the like the early 1900s. Okay, okay. In in a way, the amount of persecution was similar to what the Nazis did to the Jews. Yeah, <coughs> butchered a lot of people. You know, yeah, millions and millions. Yeah, they uh, the the youth group one year at camp showed a video of the of the Chinese church, and it was the thing that struck me was the people went, you know, they were interviewing different Christians around at different uh, underground churches. And one of the one of the men goes, oh, yeah, you know, he says, it's been pretty rough. He says, you know, but he says, God's been gracious through all of it. And he says, you know, I could, I, you know, there were times I felt like giving up, but he says, you know, I just, I, I knew that God was near me and that he would give me grace through it and that, that ultimately I'm going to win. And they said, well, what kind of things have you been through? Well, he says, the first time I was in prison for 10 years, uh, you know that you know this and this and this and this happened, and he says, but you know, every day grace of God was amazing. And then they let me out, and they told me, don't do that again. Don't preach the gospel. Well, how am I supposed to do that? So he says, I went out and preached the gospel. The second ten years they threw me in for, you know, just go, and this guy's smiling and going, you know. <laughs> so then they came. I got out, and they said, no, don't preach the gospel. And he goes, yeah, like that's going to happen. You know, I mean, he just, and it's just like, my goodness, what a that, that's an amazing perspective on life, is because the whole time he was in prison, he was preaching the gospel. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it just the, the venue changed. Um, another was a a young a young boy or a young girl who had been run off of, of, of their village because their parents saw the saw the persecution coming, told her to leave, had not lived anywhere for years, 10, 15, 20 years, had been on the run from village to village to village to village, staying ahead, ahead of the persecution, but the whole time preaching the gospel everywhere they went. I mean, just an amazing perspective on on this, on this affliction, you know, that... That trouble comes, but in the midst of it, there is grace. God gives the grace. So Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians that don't give up. This 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 affliction is appointed, but you don't have to give up. Um, theologian Morgan says, surveying the whole Christian movement, he, he saw suffering everywhere as the result of loyalty to the faith. And he did not conceive it merely as something to be endured. He saw God ruling over all and knew that this pathway of pain was a divinely arranged one. Um, well, we'll get there. Uh, I, I was going to, I want to preface this. I want to put it into context though, too, but I'll, we'll, it, it's going to say it here in just a second. So I want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse four. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. So when Paul was with the Thessalonians just a few months before, he had warned them that they would suffer tribulation. Though he was only with them a few weeks, he taught them about the place of suffering in the Christian life. And that's something we don't do as a church. I don't mean we, us, we talk about that all the time, and people tell me, you know, come on, you know, okay, stop, stop, stop warning, you know, you're prophesying bad stuff. No, I'm not. Just reality. Reality is you're going to get attacked. Reality is people aren't going to like exactly what, you know, like what you're doing all the time. But Paul is letting them know ahead of time, when it comes, be ready for it. Be ready for tribulation. Be ready to suffer because it's going to come. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were in Sikhid and we were in the, the, the Romanian vi- village and and we were having some amazing meetings, amazing time. We were doing the building, and we were having these these powerful meetings. And the one night, the Lord told me to to, to get the leaders of the church together. Um, and it was and only three of them came. The fourth one was the one who was upset and was jealous and was mad at everybody. And 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 so the three leaders came, and I prayed for them, and I and the Lord gave me a word for them, and He said, and I didn't know what it meant at the time because I could not foresee what was going to happen the very next day but I just knew what I was supposed to say to them I said trouble is coming 
And when trouble comes, God's grace is bigger. God's grace is more. I said, and at that moment when the trouble comes, you guys have to stand together. And I said, I don't know what this means. I don't. I don't. You know, I'm hoping that it never happens. But I said, God's letting me, telling me to tell you that trouble is coming. And you need to be aware of it. You need to be ready. And don't lose it. Don't don't fall apart. You must keep walking forward and in unity and in love and all of these things. Well, the next morning we had a riot in church. The the the, the leader who was who was jealous, that was mad and everything, brought a bunch of thugs in from town. They had clubs. They they started beating up the people from church. They grabbed the the pastor uh, and they beat him in the in the church service. You know, it's one of those deals where we, we you know we were ten minutes late. Praise God, because none of the, none of our team was in there, none of our kids were in there. They they came in. We should have been there for five minutes when they came in because they were hoping to catch us in there. And they started this riot. We drove up and we're and like we said, don't get out of the van. We didn't know what was going on. There were people running all over the place with sticks, and they were hitting each other, and they were fighting, and. The, the elders, the three elders, came running out of the church and said, get out of here, go, leave, leave, leave. And then we found out later what had happened, but we got all of our people out safely. So there will be affliction. And out of that now, so out of, you know, they, they, they were kicked out of that church, the, the, the believers who, 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 you know, it was about Jesus and it wasn't about status and it wasn't about money and it wasn't about a bunch of other things, what these other people wanted to do. They, these three elders then said, fine. They walked away from the whole thing. They, 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 they washed their hands of it. They started meeting in their garden, started meeting in one of their, their front yard, their garden. And now the church, which they built from nothing, uh, can seat about, well, can seat about a hundred of us and about 350 gypsies, um, <laughs> is absolutely <coughs> packed every time they open the door. And in last week, they, they baptized 22 people, and they had 28 more people who wanted to get baptized, and they were told, no, you guys are too, you don't understand what's going on yet. You're too, you know, you're too young. And so a couple of weeks, they're going to get baptized. They're going to train them and teach them. And, and, you know, so, I mean, out of that affliction, look what God has done. Praise the Lord. I mean, it's powerful. So cool. Is there any... Oh, I'm sorry. I just wonder if there's any uh, uh, moving forward on getting like a little kiosk with Skype set up and so we could see them every now and then. I never thought of that. Did we talk about that before? Once, yeah, once we did. Yeah. Hmm. I was reading ahead, so I missed the very beginning of that story. I think we were talking about here. So I just oh. kept picturing like Miss Ricky running through the parking lot <laughs> with a stick. Yes. <laughs> That, that's not beyond, you know. So if you didn't hear that in the tape, uh, <clears throat> that's that was quite the image I had in that. <laughs> 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 a little bit, a little bit into it. So, in Jesus's parable of the soils in Matthew thirteen one through twenty three, he describes the way that some some of the seed and that some of the people fall away when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Jesus said when tribulation arises, he says when tribulation arises. He didn't say if tribulation comes. The Christian faith will be tested. Paul knew this, and as a good pastor, he warned the Thessalonians. We have to know that this is real. Now, Obviously, it's not something that's there to scare us or to bum us out. It's not, you know, it's not something to to uh, to walk around in fear about even. But it is inevitable. Um, you know, we, it, it, like I say, it's not a it's not something you walk around in fear. But it is it is something you have to talk about. And and uh, in our family, I've said, here's the deal: if life, if the world keeps going the direction it is one of the targets is pastors because we're going to be on the front line and people are going to ask us, you know, we're, we're going to have to make decisions and say things publicly that need to be said. And I said, very, you know, in most countries, when, when they came against the church, the pastors were the first ones to go to prison. Well, okay. So we have that discussion. We have, here's, 
here's what here here's how we look at this. It isn't that it's the end of the world. It isn't that that you know we give up and we lose hope and we do. Or it also doesn't mean we go hide. Sometimes you hide if you need to, but most people, you know, whenever I think about the future and what could happen in our world and as the world keeps going in the direction it is, hiding is not the answer. People need to know the truth. They need to know the gospel. And and uh, so, you know, when I've had a lot of people ask me over the last six months to a year, you know, with all of the world situation, you know, what do I think about you know, uh, prepping and, and, and preparing for, you know, uh, world collapse and all those kinds of things, my answer is always and always will be, always has been, always will be, we need to prepare to preach the gospel. That's what it's all about. Um, you know, do whatever God tells you to do to prepare your own home. You know, I mean, you know, and, and I'll just be very honest. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and my parents always had food stored for for a period of time, and, and many times it's helped. And during the the ninety one Halloween storm, they had neighbors <clears throat> stay with them for three weeks while power was out in southern Minnesota for three weeks. We live in Minnesota. We so I mean, if that's if you if you have that on your heart to be ready to to take care of yourself and others, then do that. That that's a great idea. I, I have no problem with that. What used to be normal, you're now calling it doomsday prepper form. Yeah, that was normal exactly. Yeah, I don't consider it doomsday. I mean, I'm not ready to prepare to have three and a half years of food, but mm-hmm. I think you should have a few months worth. Absolutely. Maybe, you know, you lose your job or something. Mm-hmm. Or, See, and that's how, yeah, I was going to say that too. As I, <coughs> something's on sale, I'm going to buy a ton of it and, mm-hmm. you know. Or if there's a natural disaster, then you can feed your neighbors. Well, yep. I don't understand. Laura doesn't want to go down there and be raiding the stores when there's a tornado coming. Or <laughs> Do you know that you can eat cat food, soft cat food, and it is the same, but nobody's going to be rushing to the, the pet food store, so that is an idea. I, I keep plenty of We always have plenty of cat food on hand, yeah. so yeah. it's your secret in the chili. Well, the next pot bless we have here at the church is going to put don't a hole. Yeah, yeah, I don't even mind these chili. What show was that that we watched, and I just, I lost it. I don't remember what it was. We were watching some show, they were talking about that. And, um, That's the bizarre food. I don't know what it was. It was really funny, though. I think it was a Tuesday's purple. You made his kids eat it. <laughs> Ron, so you can't stock up a few years' worth of food. Because, I mean, like, if I were to do that and something came, I would be handing it out. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. I mean, if I did have a couple of years' worth, I'd be handing it out. And that's what I'd do is I'd hand it out till it's all gone. And, and and the you know you watch I watch these shows and they talk about you know not only do they stock up the food but then also the guns and the ammo to shoot the people that are starving. It's like okay, yeah. wait a second here. <laughs> How does that add up? You know, I, I but in that we are supposed to help others, and God said He'll meet our needs, and that's what I want. That's that's how I wanted to also put this into context. When I'm talking about suffering, and when I'm talking about you know. I'm, I'm talking about suffering for the gospel, suffering for your moral standard or your moral position, because you know what, there there will come a day, and it's already here, where where a a righteous standard is not accepted, a a good moral standard is not smiled upon, it's hated, and so. There will be, there will, it will get worse and worse to the point where people look at you for having a moral stance on whatever subject as you're dangerous, you're you're one of them. That is what we sh- what we get persecuted for when we talk about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Um, you know, I mean, when I grew up, there was a there was a, a, a chick track. Remember the chick tracks, you know, that were back in the 60s and, and 70s? Well, there was the bigger ones, which were like uh, comic books. They used to hand them out to kids, and they were these comic books. Well, one of them was about the end times, and, and I remember reading it. I mean, distinctly remember reading it, early 70s. And 
the the premise of it was it was the end time was right before the rapture and and how bad the world is going to be and one of the things was that they were handing out drugs on the street <laughs> and and the whole time we're thinking no there is no way that they will ever ever get that bad i just saw the article this week where they're going to have a marijuana vending machine mm-hmm. in in Come colorado on. really yeah Oh, vending machine. Oh, okay. Because you gotta buy. It. You got. I know you have to use cash to buy it. At least. They, yep. That's what they said one time. So. And and other things. You know. Just, right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So just a you know the the moral decay of of this world. Well, so we have that's the way the world is going. We've changed. So we get persecuted, and we get affliction for the gospel. Now. There will be other afflictions also. Hey, that this whole Ebola thing in Africa is freaky. Because mm-hmm. now, did you hear? Did you read today where it spread into the city? Mm. It's it's now not only in the jungle. People in the cities, in the in the one city, is are now being infected, and people are are coming down with Ebola that were never in the jungle. Now now it's the people that were in the city. Ebola is a. If you remember the. Did you ever see the movie? Uh, no, um, um, I just watched it. Outbreak. Outbreak. Yeah, with that's, with that's Dustin, Dustin Hoffman and was it Dustin Hoffman? Yeah. Yep. And that's that is a type of Ebola. That that's the disease, and that's what it can do. And it's starting to spread in this in uh, uh, what's what country is it? I can't remember. Congo. Uh, I don't remember. Congo But area. but. The the what I'm what my my point is is sicknesses one one kind of sickness or another and this and that the thing is that's not the kind of affliction I'm talking about because the Bible Jesus already took care of sickness we can be healed that's that is part of the promise is that we can walk in healing and we need but then we need to know how to appropriate that how does that work there's case after case after case of people um, who uh, we're in different plagues, and by faith they went in and served those people, and it never touched them. And they did it by faith. They 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 believed that God would would keep them healthy and whole. Uh, John G. Lake. You, you, the people said, "How are you not dying from this plague that everybody around here is dying from?" And he goes, "I'll show you." And he went over to a microscope. He put some of the strain of the disease on his hand, put it under the microscope, and they watched the 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 cells die. They watch the the disease die. He says, because God's healing me. God is continuing. I believe that we will deal, that, that's how that will happen. Food. Um, I believe, why don't you just pull the door shut. Can you pull this one too, Shuddy? Thank you. I believe that, that God will supply our needs food-wise. He said, he said, I, you know, that this is my God shall supply all your needs. Paul said this, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He didn't say, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory as long as there isn't a world famine. Or as long as, you know, there's, there's you know, until there's no, you know, food in the grocery stores anymore and then you're out of luck. Well, we just take the loaf of bread and break it down. Amen. I mean, look what Jesus did with the, with the loaf. Mir- miraculous things can happen and do happen. And it's, the birds brought bread and meat to the prophet. Absolutely. Now, for yeah. Ted Boom, when she was in whichever concentration camp. She had the one bottle of vitamins mm-hmm. and this little bottle fed hundreds of people mm-hmm. daily for months. And <laughs> yep. There was the woman I shared it in church one Sunday and I, cause I had just found, I'd heard about this testimony. There was a woman who had, she had, had gone to the Philippines. She had just gotten married. Her and her husband moved to the Philippines the month before Japan attacked the Philippines. So the, the, the Japanese attacked the Philippines. They came into their compound, found a radio, just a radio, a transistor radio for listening to, to, to weather reports and stuff, said that they were spies, split them up. They never saw each other again. She spent 10 years, no, not 10 years. She spent a long time, let's just say she, a long time in prison for being a spy and in it, she, there was a point where she was starving, and she was because they weren't feeding her enough. 
and she she was looking out of her cell, and across the courtyard she saw somebody reach through a the, the gate and pull a banana off of a tree, and she she was just she was starving, and she said, "Lord, can I please have a banana?" And then felt guilty because she thought, "Oh, you know, I mean, all these other people are starving here. I'm sorry, Lord. I, I'm asking for too much. I'm sure that you can't." You know, I, I, I'm asking for too much. You, I, I, you know, you don't have to give me a banana. I don't need a banana. And just then, she heard the door open down the hallway and the heavy boots coming down the hallway. And she thought, "They're coming to beat me again." Oh no! And then they, she was hoping they would walk past her door. And they stop outside of her door. They start to open up. The keys are opening the door. The guy opens up the the <clears throat> the door. The guy that had been beating her for for months go, leading up to this looked at her and she thought, oh, here it comes. He reaches behind the door, throws in a whole bunch of bananas, slams the door and walks away. And she lost it. Because, you know, God can supply your needs according to his riches and glory. And she had asked for one banana. And here was a whole bunch of bananas, a whole, you know, and she just lost it because she said, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could hope, think, or ask. So God can do miracles in that. So when we talk about afflictions, it isn't about, you know, my 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 bills are you know completely out of control and I don't have any money to pay for, you know, this and that. God is trying to teach me something. No. Maybe your bills are completely out of control though, because you bought too much stuff. <laughs> and you're not you're not being wise steward with your yes. money. Exactly. <laughs> That's a whole nother con not the whole other subject. But putting that into context, and I, and I want to say that because a lot of people will slide right into oh, the things that I'm suffering physically or the things that I'm suffering because of this or that, it's because God's doing it to me. No. You know, we do it to ourselves. We, we, we cause our own problems or, or stuff happens in the world. And But God, God has already taken care of that. He's taken care of lack and sickness and the curse and all of those things. But he did say we would suffer for the gospel. We will... There will be persecution. I may be reading it a little differently in the first part of chapter three, but I, I kind of see this as he's saying that that he communicated that they were going to, not they as the, in the Christian Thessalonica, but Paul and and Timothy, that, that they would be persecuted. And I think that he's saying that, and you know that has happened since then because they got mm-hmm. ran out of town and yep. ran out yep. of Berea too. Um, I think he probably did warn them that they would be persecuted too, but I think mm-hmm. he's talking about um, the reports that they that they are hearing and having to counter the uh, the accusations being made and stuff. That I think he's talking about that we told you that we were going to be persecuted. Absolutely. But um, this ties into all the rest of this is that they didn't go looking for persecution no. either. I mean, they they knew it was coming and that it would show up from time to time. Mm-hmm. They didn't go from one town to another looking to pick a fight either. And, and that's an actually a very good point because I know some people that do that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it isn't just that, that persecution comes. They think they have to go out and tick somebody off on purpose and then they go, oh, look, I'm being persecuted. No, no, you're a jerk. You know, <laughs> and, you, you know, and you're, you're picking a fight. You know, absolutely. Verse 5. Now that we're behind the eight ball again, now we can hurry up and get done. <laughs> For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to, I sent to I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and your la- and our labor would be in vain. So Paul could barely endure the thought that the faith of the Thessalonians might crumble under this season of affliction. So he sent Timothy to both check on them and to help them. Paul recognized that the tempter, that is Satan, wanted to exploit this season of suffering. In the case of Job, like what you were talking about earlier, Satan wanted to tempt the Thessalonians to give up on God. That's what it's all about. He cannot make you give up on God. He can't do anything to you that, that, that forces you to walk away from God. But he can use whatever situation you're in to tempt you to walk away from God. And I've actually seen that happen. I know people who have gone through some pretty hard things in their life and they look at it and go, well, you know, here I am a Christian and and those things happened anyway, so what what good is it that I'm doing this? It happens. And that's what, what, what Paul was concerned about with these folks. 
If the Thessalonians did waver in their faith, Paul would consider his work among them to have been in vain. In the parable of the soils, Jesus described the seed that withered under the heat of trials. If the Thessalonians withered, Paul's hard work as a farmer among them would have been to no harvest. Paul did something to prevent the Thessalonians from failing under their affliction. He sent Timothy to them because those who are in affliction need to need the help of other godly people. And that is absolutely true. That's where we all can be encouragers. That when somebody, you know, Jolene, I mean, what you would you do with, with the, the meals for people that are going through whatever, you know, a, a sickness in the family or, or whatever, even the meals on wheels, that's encouragement that, hey, you're not alone. We're here. We're helping. We're, you know, don't give up. And, and any, when we go to visit the sick, that's why that's so important. We go visit because, you know, you're there and, and you, you help them to laugh a little bit. You help them to get their mind off it. But you're also saying, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to make it through. Um, when when uh, Ethan and, and Deb almost died, you know, and and, and when Ethan was born and and I was just I, I could not pray for myself. I, it was it was one of those weird times where where I, nothing I said made made I didn't nothing that didn't make sense. Nothing I said seemed worthwhile to say, and I was laying there thinking, God, I I can't even pray for myself. All I could say was, they will live and not die. That was the only phrase that I could utter that made sense. But it was all the other people who gathered around us and, and, and encouraged us. And, and you know, and I, I won't tell, there's, there's one story in particular. And every once in a while I can actually tell the whole thing and without losing it. And, and it's because it was, it came from, it came from the, per, not the person you would think would come with this kind of encouragement. Um, but they, they just sent me a note. It was just a note that had um, the words to a song. How many hours did that go on? That her and Ethan were in such four trouble? days. Yeah, four <clears throat> days. The, the 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 initial worst part was was one twenty four hour period because it was the next day was was it was within twenty four hours they said if she didn't if her kidneys didn't start working within the next twenty four hours she would die. So she had so she gave birth and then at at about seven o'clock that night. Yep. And it wasn't until the next day, in the middle of the day, where her kidneys miraculously started working. I mean, weren't, 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 weren't. I went and took a shower, came back, flood. Everything started working. And the doctor's like, wow, this is amazing. So, um, but yeah, so just that, that note of encouragement to keep you from giving up. At that moment, when you're at your lowest, you know, and you can't, you can't take another step, and somebody just does something inspired by the Holy Ghost, powerful. Um, yeah, we have to be careful to do that because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in the body of Christ, so often when somebody is having their lowest of low points, people will go <clears throat> do the job number on them and say, "Ah, yeah. you must have deserved this, and they'll desert them, or worse mm-hmm. yet." Say something that's going to hurt. Chew them out, yeah. yeah. For, well, what are you? What are you? Are you not praying enough? Well, hello. Yeah, yeah, obviously you're in sin. Mm-hmm. You need to repent of. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, people are people are people. All right. So Paul did something like what you're saying. Uh, did something to help to to help prevent the Thessalonians from falling under their affliction. He sent Timothy. Uh, because those who are in affliction need the help of other godly people. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you are that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So in these two words, he states concisely the sum of, of the total of godliness. All who aim at this mark... Uh, are beyond the danger of error. So the when you're saying, when, when, when we go to people, what we do when we're there is absolutely vital because we can go two ways. One is we can accuse, we can, we can insinuate, we, you know, people do. I've, I, I have heard people do some of the dumbest things in, in hospital rooms or even in mortuaries. And, but what he says here, he says... Um, what, what the, the good news of your faith and love. When we come to people with faith and love, 
it wins every time. That is the right way. What it means is, hey, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. I love you. Whatever happens, you need anything, you call me. I'm here. You know, you do whatever you feel led to do with faith and love. It is has nothing to do with, let's try to solve this situation. Because you can't solve their situation. Uh, you, you know, uh, we don't know what they're going through. We, we, may, we have, may have been through things like it. We may have experienced things close to it. But we don't know. And, and to say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. And, and everything's good. No. Hey, I love you. I don't care what happens here. If you need me, I'm, you know, I'll sit here and laugh with you. I'll sit here and cry with you. Whatever you need. I'm, I'm, and when you do that, you cannot fail. And that's what, so when Timothy goes to them, he just goes there and loves on them. And yeah. One of the Jewish practices that I like so much is that um, when someone's going through hard, something hard, you know, like a death or something, um, you know, they call it sitting ship or whatever. But when you go into these people, you're not supposed to speak to them until you're spoken to. Mm-hmm. You just sit there. Mm-hmm. You stand there and you wait until they ask. Until they speak to you before you do anything, prevent saying stupid things. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. I had a friend of mine one time that um, he called me up. He said, I got to talk. And he, he comes over and he tells me the most horrific story you will ever hear in your life. And I'm just, all I could do is cry. All I could, I mean, you know, so here's this me, huge, supposed to have it all together guy. I mean, when he told me the story, I was just like, my God. So we just sat there and we cried together. Years later, he told me that's the only thing that kept him going. It wasn't very spiritual. <laughs> you know, you, you, you wouldn't think so, you know. You wouldn't think that that was the, you know. But it's just, you're right. It, it, it isn't about words of wisdom. It's not about having the right answer. It's not about, you know, it's just about being God to them at that moment and, and just empathizing, being with them. So... All right, verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distresses and and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast uh, in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can, can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So never is the servant of God so full of delight as when he sees the Holy Spirit um, is visiting his hearers, making them to know the Lord, confirming in them uh, that heavenly knowledge. On the other hand, if God does not bless the words, the word of his servant is like death to them. To be preaching and to have no blessing makes them heavy of heart the chariot wheels are taken off of the drag and they drag heavily along they seem to have no power nor liberty that was Spurgeon who said that 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 it's there is nothing better than when when you go in you minister to somebody and it brings life that's what it's all about and and it isn't just a pastor who does that we're all ministers the bible says very clearly we're all ministers and whatever situation you find yourself in, you may be the only one who has the access to them or the only one they'll listen to. And so when you go in and you speak life to them, you speak hope to them, you speak love. If you don't do anything but other than love, when you speak love, it brings life. And then when that happens, and that's what Paul is saying here is he's going, it worked. This, what, what we did brought life. Sending Timothy to you brought life. This is what it's all about. So, you know, I used to hate hospitals. I hated hospital visits. I, that, was, that was my least favorite thing. When I became a pastor, I'm, the first time I had to go to the hospital, I was like, I had no idea what to say, what to do, what... I didn't like it. I felt it. Oh, I just oh, I couldn't wait to get out of there. The sooner I could get out of there, the better. And that went on for a long time. And for many years, I thought, man, I am just not cut. Somebody send somebody else. Let somebody else go to the hospital. 
It wasn't until 1999 when Ethan was born and we spent five weeks in the hospital. And we had tons of visits of pe- from people who would come and say stupid things. We had, pe- we, had those, we had those visits too. You know, they'd come in and say something stupid and just go, I'm going to slap the snot out of you. <laughs> I think I'm going to. And then you had the other ones who came in and just blew you away with the love of God and, and, and his mercy and joy and everything else. It was at the end of that five weeks, from that day forward, I have never had a problem going to visit somebody in the hospital because I realized it isn't about what you say. It isn't about having the right answers or, or you know, whatever. It's about just being there, you know, being there, loving on them. You know, <laughs> when somebody's going in for surgery, I'll usually go in about an hour before the surgery and just sit and tell jokes, joke about their, you know, their leggings, you know, that they're using to... You know, or, or you know, talk and get them get them thinking about something completely different. It isn't all that spiritual, but we'll pray for five minutes and and then they'll. But they didn't have to sit there and and worry for an hour. They were doing something else. That's love, you know. That so I want to encourage us because you know, getting out there and doing those kinds of things many times is very awkward at first if you don't know what to do or you know it isn't even knowing what to do it's just being yourself and and loving on those people and uh um that's important it keeps people from giving up and that's what and that's what timothy did for the thessalonians was he uh uh he he went in there and encouraged them loved on them was there just even his presence encouraged them Verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been... Oh, I already read that, didn't I? We don't want to be doing twice, do we? Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. Hebert, whoever Hebert is, he must be the other guy of... uh, What was the... the Siskel. Siskel, (laughs) yes. Siskel and Hebert? Yes, exactly. The great theologians Siskel and Hebert <laughs> points out that this is technically not a prayer. So what he just what he just said here is not a prayer. Now may the God of our Father and Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Recognition should be given to the fact that in the actual statement these verses do form a prayer addressed directly to God. They are rather a devout prayer wish. The solemn tone of this fervent prayer wish approaches the language of prayer and is virtually a prayer, but it's not. It's it's a statement of faith. May the the Lord of our, or may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So, when we pray for people, it doesn't always have to be, Lord, do this for them, do that for them. We could just pray that God blesses them. Lord, bless them. Bless them. Touch their lives. Help them. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of faith. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So this was not a loveless church, but they still had room to grow in love because love is an essential mark of the Christian faith. Paul looked for the Thessalonian Christians to show love to one another and to all. This love begins in the family of God, but it must go beyond. Jesus told us that our love is small and shallow if we only love those who love who love us also. So it's shallow if all we do is love those who love us. Paul daringly set himself as a standard of love to be emulated. We should we should live such Christian lives that we could tell young Christians, love other people just the way I do. Love is the most important thing. If you don't know how to do anything else, love people. Just be there for them. Spend time with them. Um, encourage them. Uh, whatever it may be. Different, you know, different people have different ways of expressing love that are so powerful. That is the most important thing. Is that we abound in love. And not just for the church. It has to go out beyond the church. It has to be for people outside. And for... Uh, for those that are not believers, because otherwise, how will they know? How will they know how God, how much God loves them? And then verse 13, 
so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul knew that God wanted the Thessalonians to have their hearts established, blameless in holiness. The idea behind holiness is to be set apart from the world and unto God. The genuinely holy person is separated away from the domination of sin and self and the world and are separated to God. The heart must be made holy first. The devil wants us to develop a holy exterior while neglecting the interior. And Jesus called that whitewashed tombs full of death. And so when we love people and when we when we express that love from our heart, it changes things. And Paul knows that. He said he says, know that that's the way we're supposed to live our lives. We're believers. We're Christians. So we not only love the people in the in the church, but we love the ones that are not lovable, the ones that, that maybe are the ones who are doing the persecution. He's, he, I believe he's talking about the very ones who are attacking them. All right, love them. That'll mess them up. Um, we, uh, in our family, and I won't get any more specific than that, it could be any, any one of us four, uh, one of us is having, having to deal with someone, okay, it's not me, um, <laughs> having to deal with somebody who's being a jerk to them. And, okay, it's not Deb either. Because we're able to talk to our children and say, here's where you love that person. You love that person. Okay, they don't go to church. The other person doesn't go to church here. It's somebody from their school. Let's see how I'm narrowing this down. I guess. <laughs> you didn't say him, so. I, I did what? You didn't say him. Oh, then I was wrong. It's her. Oh, oh shoot. There we go. That's, so, but, but Tally's having to walk in love towards somebody. I mean, well, okay, let me say it this way. Tally's dealing with somebody at school. And this person's being a jerk. And we said, yeah, that person is being a jerk. Here's where you walk in love. And they don't deserve it. They don't, you know, they are being mean to you. And everybody's seeing it. We're seeing it. The teachers are seeing it. Every, everybody's seeing the situation here. But here's where you have to make the choice to not only forgive, but to walk in love. Because that walking in love will change that person. And maybe... She's the only one who'll ever reach that person because she's she's been she's she's had to, you know she's butted up against her now. Maybe this is that opportunity for her to see the love of God, even when she doesn't deserve it. When she you know when when everything <coughs> goes against it. Oh, that's true. It's so hard for teenagers. Though. Oh, Very. it's hard for adults. Yeah. But then it's teenagers have. Since my oldest son was six, and fifth graders would stuff his coat with snow on the inside and he would have to walk home that way from school every day. And, you know, I didn't know what to do or anything. I, mean, I really didn't. And we went to the Word and the Word said, God can even make your enemies to be mm-hmm. at peace with you. Mm-hmm. So all I could do was tell my son, you love them and here's what God's going to do for you. Yep. And we stood on that every day. By the time spring came, they had made him the mascot of their baseball team. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to play a game unless he was there. Mm-hmm. They had decided that they liked him and they wanted him around and these were older kids and stuff. So God took a situation that started out really bad mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and turned it into something really good. And But it took a lot of patience and standing, a lot of encouragement for both of us, mm-hmm. you know, to just say... God said this, and we're just going to believe it. Amen. That's exactly right. You, know, you wouldn't think that prep school would have problems like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, the public schools have that, but you wouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. But they do. Well, people are people everywhere. People are people. Christians, <laughs> Christian schools are different. horrible. There's yeah, even the Christian just, schools, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's where you get several people together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Churches. Yeah, I know. 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 Here's the deal. It doesn't matter where you go, you know, because if you don't, you, you know, I want to. I don't want to go to school here in my life. It doesn't matter. You go. You you 
Yeah, you. You go you somewhere else, you'll find someone just like that. You don't go to school anywhere. You go, you homeschool, and then you go outside to play in around your own house, and it's going to happen because there's kids there. There's people. It's people. So you got to learn how to deal with that. Yeah. And how do you deal with it? You love people. That's that is the Christian answer for affliction. The only thing that changes when you get older is it's just not as much of it, but it's mm-hmm. still there. Yeah, and and we've all had we've all had coworkers who could be jerks. We've had neighbors who could be jerks. We've had you know we've had people in churches who could be jerks. I had a coworker who was a jerk, and I really hated him and really struggled with that. And I remember one morning on the way to work, I'm just like, oh God, you want me to forgive him and lock him up, and I just can't do it. I mean, we end up you know button heads all the time. And he just spoke to my heart and said something that just broke my heart. He said, you know that man's going to hell. And you have the answer, but he's not going to listen to you because of your relationship. And I just went, oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I did. I cried the rest of the way to work. And it totally changed our relationship. And about a week before he got fired, um, he asked me to go out to lunch because he wanted to talk to me about the God that I know. Because he believed, he had some picture of God. He had scientifically proven mathematically that there's a God. But his perception of this God was really screwed up. And so I was able, he didn't receive, I mean, he didn't accept it that day. But he came to me and wanted me to hear. And I just thought, wow, you know, for me that was an amazing experience that, I let God touch my heart with God's love for this guy, and I, and and I was given a window of opportunity to share the gospel with him, the truth about who God really is. And, and ultimately, the whole situation was not about your relationship, about the day-to-day relationship. It was about the gospel. Yeah. And so God had to deal with the day-to-day relationship to. To, uh, to, to get to the point where it could be about the gospel. Yeah. So let's pray, and then we will head out. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your love for us, that, that you showing us uh, your love then gives us the ability to love others. Thank you, Lord, for um, all that you are doing in us. And Lord, help us to do this. Help us, Lord, because usually the, the those relationships where we have to walk in love are not all that easy. And so, Lord, we need your grace and your mercy and your love towards us to help others to see your goodness. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.